Hey, so we are in week three of this series entitled, Some Assembly Required. And uh, Lori, he got a prize and a present for you. He's such a good guy. What a, what a wonderful husband that dude is. Uh, I just saw her come in, so thanks for serving. Uh, this week three, first week, Pastor Bobby taught us about meaningful, purposeful relationships and how we could do that. Last week, via video, we had a lesson, some assembly required in regard to our marriage. And today, we're going to talk about conflict because of the fact that conflict is inevitable. I mean, conflict, no matter what, is completely inevitable. Wherever you have diverse thought, there is conflict, no matter what. Now, in Christian world, we have this tendency to believe that conflict isn't really conflict until it's spoken. But the fact is, whether it's spoken or it's silent, conflict exists. And, and it exists anytime we have people that think differently. See, it's pretty easy to take a bunch of Christians and go to the Yucatan Peninsula with Mao and do a mission project and work, and we can gather together, and it's easier to work together because we have to go do stuff. But you put that same group of people together in a boardroom and figure out how to spend money, and we start thinking together, now you've got conflict. So our problem in our walk with Christ when it comes to conflict, conflict is not the enemy or the problem, but mismanaged conflict can be a big problem. And it can be the kind of problem that can literally rob you of your joy in your marriage, in your friendships, and yes, in your church. And what we find is that because conflict is inevitable, our problem never is conflict. It's what we do with it and how we deal with it. So if the first point we recognize is that conflict is inevitable, the second point would be that conflict has a healthy purpose. There's a reason and a rhyme into which why the Lord allows conflict to, to be experienced in our life. Everywhere I've ever worked, every person I've ever done something with, whether it was playing ball or whether it was pastoring or whether it was leading a business or starting a business, no matter what the engagement was, I learned one of two things from every person that I interact with. And it's true for every person that interacts with me as well. It's number one, I learn what to do or I learn what not to do. Can't you think of people right now that you know, that you know, that you know, you, when you watch them, you have learned more what not to do than you have what to do. I have followed leaders in business. I have followed leaders inside of church and ministry and mission land where when I got done serving there, I learned a great deal of what not to do and I learned a great deal of what to do. But the fact of the matter is the rub comes in as to what I do with either of those. Now, have you ever been in a room or at a mall or maybe sitting here right now and you looked at somebody and you thought, I just don't like them? Did it ever cross your mind that at that moment, someone in the same room might be looking back at you saying, I don't like them? And when we begin to be aware that conflict has a healthy purpose, we grasp and understand that all of us are a little bit like Snoopy from Peanuts, where Lucy said to Snoopy, there are times when you really bug me, but I have to admit, there are also times when I feel like giving you a great big hug. And Snoopy replied, well, that's the way I am. I'm huggable, but I'm buggable. <laughs> and isn't that true for all of us? There are times in our marriage where I'll promise you I am really buggable. And there are a lot of times I'm not very huggable. And you know, it's true because the people that we are with and the people we love most, they typically get the brunt of all of how we choose to deal with conflict. 
Conflict is not for the faint of heart. And I want to start from the outset in saying to you, I am no expert on this except for the fact that I have proven how to not do it much of my life. But I know that I know this, that it's worth us determining that if God designed us to be in community and we know that God has allowed conflict to be a part of our life, then there has to be a reason for which he has made us very unique and differently and at times odd from everybody else around us. Some of us were made a little more different than the rest of us. Some of us were made a little bit different than the rest of us. Some of us think that we're normal think we're normal. But the fact is, if you looked around the room, you know what you would find? You would find a lot of people that come from a lot of different backgrounds. And everything that helped shape them, they brought to the party. Everything that that they've experienced from growing up to daddy issues to education or socioeconomic or racial or anything else that has been experienced in their life, it has led to how they deal with conflict in their life. Now, you might want to get a better handle on conflict skills, but I want you to know that I get it. For some of you, for most of you, actually, statistics prove that more than 85% of us do everything we can to avoid conflict. And let me just stop and say, if you're in that 85% where you do everything you can to avoid conflict, you are most definitely going to have to deal with conflict. Because avoiding it does not make it better. Avoiding it simply stuffs it, stuffs it, stuffs it, stuffs it, and eventually when you explode, it's ugly. I mean, it's incredibly ugly. Now, for some of us, though, conflict is a sport, and so we like to create it because it's something we can conquer. And some of you right now are nudging the person next to you saying, that's you. And the person behind them is saying, no, that's you. Because we are all seeing this world uniquely differently. And watch this. God made no mistake when he made the wonderful you. I want to put this at ease, all right? God made no mistake when he made you the way he made you, but he loves you so much, he wouldn't dare let you stay there. He wants you to grow. And conflict is part of how we grow. Part of this is that God has allowed it. Any moving machine has a problem with friction. Uh, I have a daughter who decided that rather than spending the money on getting her oil change and oil check, that it was probably better to spend on a dress. When I got the call that the car had locked up and locked down, and $1,200 later with a new motor, we had conflict. <laughs> Any parent want to give me a parental amen? We had conflict. But listen, to dispel a few notions, conflict isn't a bad thing. Jesus dealt with conflict, and Jesus taught on how to deal with conflict. You're allowed the privilege of determining how you're going to deal with life-altering conflict. And again, I want you to know that I believe Scripture teaches us not only is conflict inevitable, but there is a way that God teaches us on how we can deal and conquer this conflict. Whether you see it as a trip through the ER to a colonoscopy or you see it as a sport, we've got to figure out God's way to deal with conflict because we deal with it every day of our life. In 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 8, 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 8, here's what the text says. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Now, right at that period, I want you to make a notation. Maybe you've got, got it on an app or open a Bible or you're taking notes in, in, in the handout. I want you to make this note that this text that we're reading is being written to Christians. It's being written to people like many of you who are already followers of Jesus, who've already chosen Christ as your way, and the Scripture says, I want you to know that you should be of one mind. All right, now, 
at the beginning right there, we've already got diverse thought and we already have conflict because the thought that all of us are of one mind right now would be a silly thought. It goes on and says, sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters, be tenderhearted, keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. Often we play this disruptive dance of disharmony. And the folks that we're the closest with experience the worst of our conflict. Often in church, the old saying is true. We long to live in heaven together in God's glory, to live together down on earth. Well, that's another story. Isn't that true? I mean, think about it. The one place where we shouldn't mishandle conflict is in the one place that Jesus is in charge of his church. The one place where we shouldn't mishandle it is the one place that belongs to him. And yet, some of the worst conflict I've ever seen are in churches. And you might say, well, but, but I don't understand why. Well, listen to this instruction again. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. So, so the teaching already says there's no exemption and there's no out. You can say, yeah, but that's the way I'm made. No, all of you. But that's just how I'm wired. No, all of you. But Chuck, you don't understand. I know this, all of you. And you know who's the first of the all of you? Chuck, you better get in line. All of you should be of one mind, sympathize with each other, love each other, be tender-hearted, keep a humble attitude. All of you covers everyone. Now, listen carefully. Sympathize, love, be tender-hearted, humble. None of these imply uniformity, nor does it imply unanimity. It does not imply union where everyone is affiliated with each other. All of us, as followers of Jesus, are to have a oneness of heart, a similarity of purpose. You say, Chuck, I get that, but when relationships become relational rub, what do we do? And the first step is take a few steps in their moccasins. That's what the old Native American adage said. I am not going to rest a blame upon him until I've walked a mile in his moccasins. To be sympathetic means to understand and validate someone's feelings. It doesn't mean to validate their ideas. You see, the challenge for us is this. When we see someone we disagree with in a world of social media, we get to hide behind a keyboard and go blast them for what they think. We may not, even, we may not know them. We may not, understand, may not understand the entire context behind them, but we just blast them. Why? Because we feel like we're supposed to. And yet, how does that feel like in the world of Christ that this is to have sympathy and one mind? We don't know their background. We don't know their temperament. We don't know the circumstances that have shaped them, their attitudes toward these. It is the three seconds before you begin to prove your rightness, thus proving their wrongness, that we get in trouble. Because if we're not careful, we will spend all of our time proving how much we're right, and we will forget God's command to make things right. Now, now watch this. 
That is true in every relationship in your life. Our job is not to spend our time convincing people we're right. You say, well, Chuck, listen, uh, there are other scriptures that say we're supposed to call that out. I understand that. But, but that doesn't mean you pull the pen on another verse as a hand grenade and lob it at them to make sure that you understand that they understand you. We're in a position today where, honestly, we need to seek first to understand and then be understood. You say, but, but Chuck, they're wrong. Okay. Have you ever been wrong this morning? I, I fill my life with constant wrong. I have said so many dumb things in my life. I am living proof that if you speak in public long enough, you're going to say something incredibly dumb. And I have said those things. I've said them from this pulpit. And what I prove all the time is that not only is it inevitable, but it needs to become forgivable. St. Francis of Assisi prayed, Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be understood as to understand. We may not know all the reasons why conflict has arisen, but trying to understand its roots is the first step in diffusing it. And there'll be somebody this afternoon that will send me an email about the fact that I quoted St. Francis of Assisi. And you know what I would say? You know, you can quote anybody and anybody can find something that they said that they didn't agree with. But that's a good word. It's a good word for me. It's a good word for our church. It's a good word for you. Secondly, you're on the same team, right? I mean, isn't this what Peter is saying, that we're on the same team, we're, on the, we're in the same marriage, we're in the same family, we're brothers, we're sisters, we don't always compete with each other, we're designed to complement each other, we're designed to collaborate with each other, we minimize conflict by maximizing cooperation, but that's not easy to do because we were built and most of us were taught you do your job and you do your job when God's way says, I got to figure out what my part of our job is. And when we do that, we, we have this wonderful perspective that there's a reason why Nancy Simber is radically different than me, because she makes me better. She makes this church better. She is the prayer warrior I'm not and makes this church better. But you see, we could look at this and say, well, Nancy, you're just all holier than thou. Not that I've ever seen that. But you know what? if my attitude is such that maybe she's a prayer warrior like I'm not, I, I might want to look that way. Unless, of course, I realize she is different from me for a purpose, for a rhyme, and for a reason. We minimize conflict when we maximize cooperation. Healthy relationships display three important actions that always diffuse conflict. You ready? And I want you to notice all three come straight from the text that we were at. Number one, love. Number two, compassion. And number three, humility. At the heart of every misplaced conflict and misdirected conflict and misappropriated conflict, at the heart of every poor conflict, at its heart, there is one thing that is true. Pride is living big and large right there. Healthy relationships have these actions, love, compassion, humility. Love says, I will look out for the other person's best interest. It says, let's stop attacking each other and let's attack a problem. Now, that might be unique. What, what if we stopped fixing blame and we started fixing 
problems. If I look at, at Washington today, I think, come on, people, could we stop fixing blame for five minutes and go fix a problem? Just pick one, right? But that's true in the church. It's true in the family. It's true in your work. It's easy to point at Washington, and it's hard to live it in our own house. Compassion says, let's not just talk about loving each other. Let's demonstrate that love by what we say and how we act toward each other. Listen, if love says we're going to look out for your best interest, compassion puts an action to that and makes love a verb. And then humility says that love is not proud. It admits fault. It is honest about our weaknesses. It's honest about our needs, about our failures. It uses these phrases often. I need your help. I was wrong. Please forgive me. You say, well, you know what, Chuck? I'm just not that kind of man. I'm the kind of guy that puts my arm up on the steering wheel. When I see somebody I know, I do this. I don't use those kind of phrases. I'm not picking on you, but I'm telling you, if that's you guys, you are missing the greatest reward and blessing of all time by showing the strength and the power to follow Jesus in how you deal with the conflict in your life. The world doesn't need one more person to take a swing. The world needs one more person to lay it down. Number three, step up and be a blessing. Just go ahead, step up, be a blessing. Since we know that in any relationship there's going to be times of disagreement and conflict, when those times happen, we face a choice. Reciprocate with retaliation and revenge or respond with a blessing. Conflict is like a small fire. You put a small fire there and you hold two buckets. One bucket is full of gas and the other bucket is full of water. And you get to decide every day and every moment, am I going to throw gas on it by enlarging my circle and talking about it with everybody that cannot make a difference in it? Or I'm going to throw water on it and I'm going to get rid of it and squelch it because I'm going to deal with the one person that I know can help me get through it. You see, the problem is the Word tells us to find godly advice. We like to tell everybody our own advice. And as we do so, we choose in every conflict whether or not we're going to throw the gas or the water on it. And the world says, get even. Throw the bucket of gas on the fire and watch it spread. And God says, give a blessing, throw the bucket of water on it, and put it out. To give a blessing is to give the other person a little bit of slack and overlook some of the minor faults. Listen, some of us have just got to let some of this stuff go, man. I mean, you are literally filling your life with anxiety and frustration and anger over the silliest little things. My, my dad, many of you knew my dad years ago because he was a, he was a pastor here years ago. And I, I love it when y'all tell me how sweet and how wonderful my daddy was. And he was just a wonderful guy. But my dad, when it was just me and him and he was working on something in the shop, he could do one little thing and he could go off for an hour. And literally it would ruin my day. You know what happened in my life? I had to realize that I did the same thing. And then I realized, wait a minute, the only thing left to do is stop it. Just stop it. If you, if you must tackle the conflict, here's three quick rules. You ready? If you can't directly impact the problem with the person you're dealing with, let it go. I, there's no need in spreading it any further because it's just like a telephone game. 
I mean, we can start with, I didn't like that song that Chuck jumped on, all the way to, did you know that Chuck is a devil worshiper? (laughs) And that's what happens when we just start the talk. If you must confront, check your heart and be sure your motivation isn't punitive, but rather grace as beneficial. And number three, keep your circle small. Speak directly to the person after you have gotten prayerful, godly counsel and address the person with clarity, not drama, kindness, not hatred, and in person, not via text or email. Number four, guard your mouth. Boy, this thing has gotten me in so much trouble. I mean, if I could, if I could just reel the tape back on my life, I mean, it would be amazing the junk that I could have avoided if I could have just guarded my own tongue. After 39 years of collective marriage and counseling hundreds of couples, here's what I know to be true. Most marriages aren't failing because of a love problem. Most marriages fail because of a communication problem, because we just don't know how to deal with conflict. And if you're talking about an institution that's going to have conflict, I promise you, say I do, and you'll experience a whole nother level. But when we lose control of our tongue, we not only fail to give a blessing, we cause a bleeding that ruptures relationships. Let me ask you a question. How many of y'all could go 24 hours without saying any unkind words about or to anybody or anything? Anybody? Okay, then here's my challenge to you today. In a moment, I'm going to pray for you. How many of you be willing to take on the presence of Christ and let him get into your life and let his spirit give you enough direction that you could claim peace in your life over the next 24 hours and you could lay down anything that's an unkind word about or to anybody or anything. Anybody up for the challenge? All right, let's pray about it. God, today, we've had some folks that said, I I could do that. And Lord, I can tell you, I know that I know that I know I can't do that apart from you. And Lord, I believe your word that nobody that raised their hand can do it apart from you. So would you fall into this place and step into our lives and let your spirit give us such direction that it would replace our anxiety with peace and our conflict with better relationship, not worse. God, overwhelm us with the one thing you came to give us most, and that's peace. Lord, eliminate our pride so that we can lay down the conflict. Guard our mouth so we can speak those things that are affirming to others and about you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, um, Jesus, before his death, burial, and resurrection, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah said, when they would lead Jesus to be crucified, he wouldn't open his mouth, that he'd go silently like a lamb led to be slaughtered. He who above all people would have the right to retaliate with words, he chose to demonstrate perfect self-control in order to accomplish his redemptive work. And his redemptive work was that we might be a people that would ruthlessly seek peace. To do that, to pursue peace with a passion in our relationships, we're taking on this role of Jesus as a peacemaker. 
Peacemakers don't wring their hands when conflict arises and say, I don't care. That would be apathy. Peacemakers don't stick their heads in the sand. That would be avoidance. Peacemakers don't let people have their own way while avoiding confrontation. That would be appeasement. Peacemakers intentionally seek reconciliation, and they agree that there are times that we can disagree. In the end, the only way you make that 24 hours and the only way you can lay down the drama of conflict in your life is to take up the one promise that I know that I know that I know God will hear you today. The only way that you will live where conflict is something that sharpens you and betters you and makes something happen so positively in this world is because it's not on you. It's allowing Christ into your life and allowing his spirit to take ownership. At 9.30, I had the privilege of baptizing a grown man that I met in the meet and greet room just a few weeks ago. In his video, and his testimony, he said, I want to be a better person. I want to choose Jesus to be a better person. And I, I thought, what a great testimony. And a college girl who showed up about a year ago at a college Bible study because her mom just went online looking for a church for her, said, I, I want to trust Jesus with my life. We baptized them. Then at this point in the service, six or eight folks said, I, that's what I need. I, my problem is I keep bringing drama into every relationship I have, and it's because I don't have the presence of Christ working within me, and I want that. And Jesus says the simple way you do that is you call on the name of the Lord. You don't have to walk an aisle. You don't have to join a church. Shoot, man, you don't even have to get baptized. You just call on the name of the Lord and you say, Chuck, I, man, I, those words are like Portuguese to me. I don't know what that means. Calling the Lord's kind of like this. Matter of fact, if you want to make it your prayer right now, let this be your prayer. God, forgive me. I, I need you. I need you to come into my life, however it is you do that. I need you to forgive me. I need you to give me a new heart. I want to live for you. I want to turn my life around. I don't want to live for me anymore. I want to be able to lay my conflict down with you, and I want you to own it. And Jesus, I thank you. You died for me. You rose for me. And right now, you're sitting in heaven creating a home for me if I'll choose you and believe you. Man, if that's the prayer of your heart today, I don't want heads bowed and eyes closed. Man, I want everybody to see. If that's the desire of your heart, you say, man, yeah, I want to call on the name of the Lord like that. Chuck, I want to lay my conflict down. I I want to be able to walk with Jesus and trust him. If if that's what you want to do, just like those six or eight people did at 930, just raise your hand wherever you're at. Just raise it. Just raise your hand wherever you're at. Let me see who you are. Let me see who you are. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Man, I want to tell you something. If I thought the Christian life was about how we would keep rules, I would run so far from it, I would run as fast as I could. Man, I'm so stinking glad that Jesus didn't come for me to keep a rule, man. He he came to get so deeply involved in my life that he would manage my conflict, my relationships, and he'd walk through the thick of the mess with me. I don't know about you, man, but I, I don't need one more spot of conflict in my life that's unneeded. 
But I can tell you, friend, the presence of Jesus in my life rubs up against my sinful nature and it causes me to be deeply grieved that he's done all for me and there's nothing I offer him. Everything I give him is just this filthy rag right here. And Jesus says, come on, Chuck. Just like he said to some of you today, come on. I'm going to hold you and I'm going to walk you through all this mess and I'm going to do all that because I love you. That's a Jesus worth following. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for folks that said yes to you. God, in, in the time that you move them and stir their heart to follow you in baptism, just like those folks at 930, God, you speak to them and you direct that, not, not us. God, I want to thank you that the Bible, when we when we send it out, it never returns void. God, you promised it. It always returns, having accomplished exactly what you meant it to, and I'm so grateful it's done that today. So for all these folks that said over the next 24 hours, I'm in, God, overwhelm them with peace in their soul. For those folks that said today in both hours and online, yes, that's me, I, wanna, I want Jesus to come in my life, overwhelm them with your presence and begin the process of leading them into becoming more like you. Lord, we love you and we praise you because you first loved us in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Join me for the blessing before we head out today. If you're new around here, I do this at the end of almost every service. But I don't think I've ever told people why I do. I end with this blessing because I believe folks ought to walk out of church with the firm belief that you can do this. In the power of Jesus the Lord, you can go out there and you can succeed wildly because he will go before you and make a way and he will make your crooked path straight. I don't care how crooked it seems. He's for you. He'll go within you and bring you peace and joy and fulfillment and contentment beyond what anybody else offers because he is always good and you are always loved. And listen, friend, when life is just beating a crud out of you, and I know it is in some of you, man, listen, hop on the back of the Lord Jesus and let him carry you not around your junk, but right through the middle of it so he can set you down victoriously on your two feet and he can wipe away your tears. And he can kiss you on the forehead. And you can look at him eyeball to eyeball. And let him say, my child, say it with me. I love you. What's good, isn't it? Go in peace.